Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. This podcast is presented by Smarks Like Us Clothing and Avenio Films. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Julio and Alex on Twitter. At James Alex Mattis, that's M-A-T-T-I-S, and at Avinio, that's at O-V-N-I-O. Yes, this is the main theme from Star Wars Episode 3. Why, you might ask? It's simple. It's the best film in the franchise. Hello, welcome to The Contrarians, episode number one. Here on The Contrarians, we expose the lies of Rotten Tomatoes, as we are here to show that it is a flawed system. My name is Alex, I'm joined by my co-host and cohort, Julio. How's it going? It's going right. I'm ready to uh, expose the lies. <laughs> of Rotten Tomatoes? Yes, ready to remove the blindfold. This has been a project we've been uh, talking about for quite a while. Julio, could you explain basically the genesis of this idea? The genesis would be that popular opinion is generally wrong. You guys are being fed lies by uh, popular websites, and we're here to tell you what really is going on. So there's some really horrible movies that are inexplicably very well praised by sites like Rotten Tomatoes, which is like our main target here. And there's some really good movies that have really low ratings for no reason. So we're going to defend the bad movies or the good movies that have bad ratings and tear down the bad movies that have good ratings. That's our mission. And now sometimes we're going to have to play devil's advocate. Uh, Sometimes we're going to have to say things that are not really how we feel. But that's okay because at the end of the show we'll have our, our little real talk moment where we explain how we really feel about movies. But right now what we're going to do is uh, just go against the popular opinion. Basically we're here to prove also at the end of the day that the art is subjective and that not one voice is accurate and... Because it's so annoying to talk to people about film and they always rely on, well, on Rotten Tomato it's ranked this. And so, basically here to show that that is a flawed system. Yes. Basically, you can be snarky about anything and you can be over the moon about anything if you just put enough effort in if it. If you set your mind to it. Yes. <laughs> you try hard enough, you can be in love with really, really bad stuff. So since it's Halloween time here for our debut episode of the Contrarians podcast, we selected one of the most beloved Halloween movies of modern times, if not ever. It is The Nightmare Before Christmas, the Disney film, originally released under their Touchstone subsidiary film distribution company, as at the time Disney deemed it too dark for their taste. That is an impressive 94% of Run Tomatoes. What are you thinking, people? That <laughs> is that is extremely high. That's 94%. That's uh, Everybody loves it except for like a handful of people including the guy from Entertainment Weekly, but we'll get to that. Rotten Tomatoes boasting a very triumphant 94%. Nightmare Before Christmas was released on October 29th, 1993. Had a pretty decent budget of $18 million, but was able to flip that and make a box office of $81.7 million. It's widely regarded as um, semi-revolutionary for its use of stop-motion animation, but Rotten Tomatoes and its fan base acknowledge it as a, a great, seminal children's movie and a, just a great tale, and it's also garnered this incredible cult following, which 
I'm going to be honest with you, I don't quite understand. Well, you know, if I want to, like, apply cold logic to it, I would say that the fact that its runtime is 71 minutes probably has something to do about how much money it made. Because, you know, <laughs> shorter movies make more money because they have more show times. And I think that's something that has to do with it. You know, you have uh, kids, you have parents, parents that want to get rid of the kids for at least a couple hours, so they take them to the movies, and Nightmare Before Christmas has show times, I guess, every hour. That makes sense. That's why it made so much money. They did want to get rid of their kids because they didn't really know what they were filing them into for this one. But yeah, I wonder how many nightmares they had uh, after the movie. That's this is some heavy, heavy stuff that yeah. I think a lot of kids were probably not ready for when they when they went into the movie the, that Halloween. I know. I mean, I've seen it a few times. I just rewatched it with you, uh, Alex. But this is the first time you've seen it. So do you have any like fresh thoughts? Just first, first time watching thoughts that you want to share before we get into it? It's probably proper that I didn't see it until I was well into my twenties because it's as you just stated. It's there's some pretty heavy stuff to it. And as a kid, I remember seeing advertisements for it and all the toys and everything. I just never got around to seeing it as a child. And throughout my uh, adolescence and adult years, it's just I went into it with a lot of hype because I've known a lot of people that think it's. You know, the best thing since sliced bread. And uh, got to be honest, it felt kind of flat, but at the same time, I, I'm glad I didn't see it as a child because that definitely could have uh, messed with my head quite a bit. Would you say that 94% of the people you know think it's a great movie? I would hope not because it's not. <laughs> I don't think I know a single person that doesn't like this movie, but I understand if they watch it as a child and they, they were just raised thinking that it was great, then that makes sense. I, I think, think that, yeah, definitely overrated is a good start. When we're talk about this movie, I, I, I think it is overrated. But uh, do you want to go over the story first? Yeah, we can cover the plot. I think we're still getting used to the format here on the Contrarians. But let's let's just be flat out and say that spoiler heavy. So if you, if you've never seen this movie. You should probably go watch it first before you listen to us break it apart. Yes, I would like to make fun of you for not watching Night Before Christmas before 2014, but apparently my co-host hadn't seen it, so I guess that I can't really say anything. I've been um, busy. All right, so the Night Before Christmas is about Jack Skellington, the pumpkin king, king of Halloween in Halloween land, and he is bored of the most awesome job ever. All he does every year is plan the next Halloween and then have a huge party. He doesn't have to hold on to a real job and everybody in the town looks up to him, but apparently that's not good enough for him. So he decides that it's time to look for something else. And he goes on... Well, first off, it's insanely lucky that he happens to walk into, for the first time in like, I don't know how many years he's been doing this, but he walks into this magical place where uh, it's sort of a nexus where all the holidays converge and there's like doors to every sort of like holiday land possible he could go to like... It's like that point where Arizona, Nevada, those four states right, meet, it's four, where all yes. the holidays meet. Yeah, yeah. I guess he'd never been bored enough to walk that far and this time he finally found it. That's where he, you know, finds himself at the beginning of the movie and so, since he's bored at his homeland, uh, he decides to go wreak havoc somewhere else. And he happens, unfortunately for poor Santa Claus and everybody in Christmas land, he decides to go through the Christmas door. He's bored of Halloween, he finds himself in Christmas land, and is instantly fascinated by Christmas. And decides that, well, in order to stir things up in Halloween land, he's gonna make Christmas happen in Halloween land. Not necessarily a bad idea. You know, you don't really feel for Jack. I, 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 like I said, he has the best job ever, and he's just bored, and now he's 
he's decided to uh, change things up in town, and apparently the town cannot survive without him because he's not even gone 24 hours, and the mayor's going crazy, things are falling apart, they're about to go into emergency mode. It's and- also incredibly selfish on Jack's part because he's not thinking of like the real true backbone of that community, the steel workers, the teachers, the taxi drivers. He He's only thinking of himself. He, he knows the town will fall apart if he's not there. And Right, there is a system built into Halloween land. That system supports Halloween, does not support Christmas. And suddenly, because he got bored, he decides to turn things upside down and just, you know, change the way things happen. That's just... And this film, and Tim Burton and everyone, is just asking quite a bit of their child-based audience here in the first five minutes of this film to just accept that this main character is going through this massive existential crisis. Right, like, as a kid, if you're watching that movie and you, you're watching Jack, I mean, I'm pretty sure you're... Okay, there's two options. One... You're scared shitless by Jack Skellington and everybody else. In which case, like you're gone. You're you're done with the movie to begin with. Or two, you think that Jack's really cool and his whole town's really cool because you love Halloween, and then you don't understand why he wants to change that. And then if you're one of those kids with a really hyperactive brain, you start thinking, well, does Daddy hate his job and want to do something different? It's- right, because he he still he seems happy to everybody else. It's mm-hmm. not until he walks off. So now you're gonna wonder every time that my dad walks off from the party, <laughs> is he really? You know, is this what's going on? Is he breaking? song and call the dog and go looking which door is going to be open to like a brand new world that well, he you go in. to a new family you never know right yeah and then try to bring his new family home and you know start christmas here instead of halloween that's that is some heavy stuff i i didn't watch it when i was a kid i watched i was i think i was a teenager so luckily i didn't have that much of a conflict with it Bottom line, Jack Skellington breaks Christmas to Halloween land, and of course it's a disaster because the guy's not built, like, he looks like a fucking skeleton, so he's not built for Christmas. He's built for Halloween. He's way out of his depth. He he tries to recruit, like, these three kids to <laughs> kidnap Santa and, and keep him out of the way so he can take over Santa's role. Everything goes to hell. Jack can't be Santa. He does the worst possible job delivering presents. He delivers creepy presents to the kids. And it's only because of the intervention of uh, Sally, like, I guess, what we would call the love interest yeah. in this movie, that he kind of sees reason and decides, oh, yeah, I, I completely screwed this up. I really need to go rescue Santa and set things right. And it's- Sally's an interesting tale in and of itself. It's a character that's not really fully explained. She's just... A creation of the mad, sci- the local mad scientist, the local ha- mad duck scientist. Is that guy's a duck? Yes, in Halloween Town, and yeah, not much is flushed out about her character. She is fortunately voiced by Catherine O'Hara, the only real star in the film. But she's- are, you, are you telling me that Chris Sarandon is not is not a star? No, Chris I, Sarandon, Sarandon. I don't know how you pronounce his last name, but he is. You know, he played the prince in Princess Bride. I think you just expose yourself as not a Princess Bride fan. Oh, I am. It's just Catherine O'Hara would be the only one I'd consider a star. For a Tim Burton film, the absence of Helen and Bonham Carter really shines well, through. This, okay, the biggest surprise for me was finding out that Danny Elfman is doing the singing for Jack. He doesn't play Jack. Chris Sarandon plays Jack, but uh, Danny Elfman does the singing, which is... I don't know. I'll, I'll give this to him. It's impressive. I don't know that maybe you could have found somebody better, but yeah, that's... There's no star power, I agree with you. But Sally, the enigma that is her character, I guess, and the lack of backstory, I guess makes it more acceptable that she's the only one that can foresee the disaster that lays ahead. Well, there is, like, I mean, you know, she's kind of like the Frankenstein girl, you know, she's being made of pieces she does regularly take off her arms and stuff to to suit her purposes, and she really, uh, if you want to 
put something on her. She she's the symbol of the rebellious girl that is always going against her parents' will because of course her creator, the duck scientist, always wants her to stay at home and she's obviously constantly drugging him and sneaking out for the night. Right. Unlike a normal him. teen, not waiting for her dad to go to sleep and then sneaking out. <laughs> insists on drugging him and then Yes, sneaking like out. the poor guy I mean, the least you can expect from your creation is to respect you and stay at home instead of uh, just playing on your hunger for soup, I guess. And that guy's an idiot. I cannot believe that he's a scientist and he cannot see through the fact that he has a spoon full <laughs> he, of holes. He gets poisoned like four <laughs> times throughout the movie. Come on. I, I you need to give me a better like bad guy and somebody somebody bigger. Oh well, I guess okay, there is a bigger bad guy. I don't know if he's better, but you know, the boogeyman at the end. Boogie the, boogie. Boogie boogie. I guess we could talk a little bit about him because that's if I was a little kid watching that, that would have freaked me out. Well, going back to these three kids that Jack enlists to kidnap Santa, of course they botch it initially because they're children. Right. They accidentally <laughs> kidnap the Easter Bunny. I mean, there are adults. There's a, there's a werewolf. In yeah. that. <laughs> Why would there, you send the werewolf to do the job? There are many people in that town, even the mayor. The mayor, he's the politically elected official. He could sweet talk him into coming into town. Okay, well, I don't know. The mayor seems a little unstable. <laughs> he like, does. He has two faces, and it's just happy and sad. There's no in-between. <laughs> so I don't know if I would trust him with anything. That guy... He, he means business. He means business one way or the other. Well, he's supposed to mean business, but really he just seemed pretty like flimsy. I don't he know, did I seem think. unstable. Yeah, I, I wouldn't trust him with running the town. I guess he's just, he really... He, but still, he'd be better than three children. Yes, I agree. There, there are plenty of people in that in that town that, that are better than three To hatch your plan. Yeah. So they kidnap the Easter Bunny, and then all the while Jack is... Apparently these children are the only people that have access to Oogie Boogie, and uh, he tells them not to involve them, but they're children, so of course they are. If you yeah. tell them to do so, he should have used reverse psychiatry. I mean, yeah. come on. He literally chooses the three worst people he would have chosen in that town <laughs> to take care of his business. That's That's just... Poor planning overall. I mean, he could have asked Sally. I think that maybe he could have, like, because Sally likes him, obviously. Mm -hmm. He could have just asked Sally to do this solid for him and, you know, watch over Santa while I take over his his job for a year. Or his little jazz band that hangs outside of his house. He could have asked them. There's so many people. I don't understand why he just went. And again, Jack's life is so hard. He has his own personal jazz band that hangs outside of his house. Yeah, I mean, he could have gone himself to talk to Santa. It's not like he really wasn't, like, you know, I guess he wasn't a rush because he's doing that crazy. Christmas. Why was he in such a rush? He could have planned it for next Christmas and they have a whole year. Well, the problem is he, there is no rush because it's not even Halloween to Halloween. He had an extra two months. So he had 14 <laughs> months to plan out the entire thing. So he, he really should have hatched a better scheme than he did. Yeah, I don't know. I just He's just a spoiled, selfish Halloween ruler. So he's like, well, I want it now. And I'm just going to say, hey, you three kids are standing outside. Okay, you guys are taking care of it. And Eventually, they do get Santa, though. Yeah, yeah, they get Santa, or, or Sandy Claus, as they call him. Yeah, Santa, he really puts up with a lot of, of, of stuff here. He's actually surprisingly uh, civil to Jack by the end of the movie when he finally rescues him. I, If I was Santa, I would have, like, blown a gasket by then. But no, he just goes on, I guess, you know, his whole business. He's a much better caretaker than Jack. You know, he as soon as he's rescued, he goes and he fixes Christmas right away. Because yeah. well, he's fucking Santa Claus. Right, I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... Not before Oogie Boogie almost kills him and eats him. <laughs> I, I'm not quite sure of the story of this boogeyman in town. Because I guess he lives under the town. Right, Jack knows about him. I mean, let's be honest. The guy, the real person running that town is Jack. Because it's been proven, you know, throughout the movie that the mayor can't do anything. He's at himself. He's a figurehead. Mm -hmm. So Jack is a power behind town. And Jack's letting the boogeyman live in that town. He hasn't done anything about it. 
And then, of course, I guess, it's, it's karma that comes to bite him in the ass later yeah. when he wants to bring Christmas to it. So th- I guess there is some sort of uh, logic to that. It's kind of like, you know, you don't cut your hair and then it gets too long and it just keeps growing and growing and growing. So it's just this problem that you ignore and it comes to, like, haunt Jack. It's like yeah. saying, you know, your hair is halfway down your back and you, you don't know what to do about it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the boogeyman is that, that thing that you didn't go to the doctor for. And then <laughs> it turns out it's cancer. Right. A year later, you're like, oh, shit, I should have gone to the doctor. I should have gotten rid of the, the boogeyman before the three kids brought Santa to him. That, that makes sense. But, yeah, Sally. Sally is a problematic character. I I think that I mean she's supposed to be the voice of reason in the movie, but I don't know. Everybody's so crazy in that town that it's really I mean one it's not hard to be the voice of reason, and two everybody's so crazy that for them it's hard to be the voice of reason. You know, this is like a girl that keeps coming back to the duck scientist that created her when she really should have made a run for it the first time she got away. It's hard to trust her judgment. I don't know. But here here's the thing. Uh, when I watched it when I first was a kid, uh, when I was a kid I watched it first. Uh, there were a few things that bothered me even back then, and they continue bothering me this time. And one of them was the music, the songs. I guess it's it's worth, uh, like you said, making the distinction of uh, back then it was not a Disney movie. Now it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you watch the Blu-ray now, it has like the whole Disney castle and everything going on. Back then it wasn't. But if you were a kid and you were watching an animated movie, you were automatically thinking Disney. You were not making a distinction between studios. And so when it, there's an animated movie and they start singing, you expect the singing to be fun and uplifting and not turn into this really depressing stuff that most of the songs turn into in this movie. You know, Jack, every time he starts singing, you're just waiting. Eventually you train yourself to learn uh, you know, that he's going to get really depressing halfway through the song. And as a kid, that's a downer. As an adult, that's also not... It's just kind of life on its side. It's just kind of like, I guess that's okay. Yeah, I mean, okay, you're sad, but I'm watching a movie. I don't want to be sad with you. I mean, tell me about what you're going to do, Jack. Don't don't just whine there (laughs) with your dog floating around you. That opening song, when he's uh, whining about how hard his life is, if you notice, the world he lives in is shaping around him for him. (laughs) So it shows how selfish he is as a person, that that he's like... Oh, woe's me. This hill's going to change just to make sure I get to the ground right, safely. Right, Yeah, poor you, Jack. You are, like, employed for life. There are people dealing with unemployment somewhere. There's a mayor that, you know, is bipolar, and you're the, the most adjusted person here, and you still can't be happy. That's just, that's wrong. I, I really, I think the songs are a big problem. They, a musical number should really lift you up. It should really, like, really energize you for the next segment of the movie and this movie no the songs just really bring you down that wasn't as big of my problem with it as it was um musicals are fine but not when the narrative and all of the story hinge on the music and the songs themselves um tim burton had a film this past year les miserables that um, was similar to this. There was no dialogue. It was just all relied on the songs weaving in and out, and I, I just felt that's uh, kind of a, a crutch to have to fall back on. And with this, I could have used with more dialogue and more uh, explanation as to why the th- things were the way they were. But even then, especially now considering, I mean, the film's 20, 21 years old. Yeah, for kids watching this, th- there's no, like, be Our Guest or Under the Sea. There's no fun... Hakuna Matata. There's, there's none no of that. Hakuna Matata. I wanted the dog to sing with her. It, but, okay, life for, sucks. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, an aside, I, I think that uh, it wasn't... Tim Burton just wrote Le Miserable. Uh, 
Uh, it was Brett Ratner directing. Oh, okay. So okay. I understand the confusion because he was involved in it, but that is a good point. The, the other thing that bothered me that, you know, goes back to the whole, like, okay, the movie's 21 years old. Yes. Should we excuse the shoddy animation on it? Because, honestly... Okay, I understand back then it was like, oh, we haven't seen... We don't know what the hell stop-motion animation is. So, but let me tell you this. As, as a young kid that wanted to be a movie maker... We all knew what stop-motion animation was. That was what we did with our camera and our action figures. That's like, I'm sorry, Tim Burton did not invent it. Henry Selleck did not invent it. I used to do things with my camera and my action figures that looked exactly the way The Nightmare Before Christmas does 21 years ago. Am I getting a Blu-ray DVD release? You just didn't have the $18 million budget. Right, yes. That's, uh, you know, Hollywood shut me out. But, and uh, Blu-rays can do anything, man. Like, I, I recently watched uh, Snow White on there. I mean, Blu-rays can make anything look great, so it's just another, a, a crutch. It's a gimmick to fall back on. Yes, I'm sorry. If this story was told, like, live action with, like, you know, the real Chris Sarandon playing Jack Skellington and, you know, the real Catherine O'Hara playing Sally and the real Danny Elfman singing for Chris Sarandon, this movie would, you know, we wouldn't be talking it about it. It would have bummed kids out so much. <laughs> like, why are all these old people singing right now? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, you would have to have, like, either a real dog or, or you know, something to, like, make up for the floating dog. Mm. And the, but, yeah, I'm sorry. It just doesn't look... I'm not impressed by the by the visuals. That's just... It seems to me like something that I could have done when I was a kid. Uh, and I definitely, if I wanted to, if I still have any action figures, I could do it now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and if I had, like, that much of an obsession with, like, Halloween and, like, gothic stuff. But, yeah, I I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's 21 years old. If if Tim Burton and Henry Selleck decided to remake The Night Before Christmas today, would it look the same? Would it look better? I would like to think it would look better, but I don't know. I mean, I guess Johnny Depp would be voicing Jack Skellington, for one. I think a lot is lost in the fact that it's not in 3D. That, I think that really would have helped a lot yeah, of the film. Yeah, I guess, I guess they really did try to kind of remake it with The Corpse Bride. You know, that was an attempt of, hey, it's been a couple decades, let me show you what I've learned. That and Frank and Weenie and Coraline were all just kind of like, they tried to just make up for the... Yes, we know that sooner or later you will see through the wool that we put over your eyes with Nightmare for Christmas. So let us like put something here like just to be prepared for that. You won't like it anymore, but then you'll like this, hopefully. Yeah, I, I, I can totally see that. I, I can see that. The other thing, as like we mentioned earlier, you know, it's only 71 minutes long. And I'm sorry, as a kid, maybe 76. that... 76? Okay, well, it's still... Okay, don't, don't argue with me for five Okay, the, fil- uh, the film is 71, the credits take up Okay, the credits one. don't count. Especially okay. if you're a kid, you don't sit through the credits. If you're an adult and you have a life, you don't sit through the credits. You know, it's Unless just, it's a Marvel film. Maybe, but only because they make you. I mean, if you didn't have to, you wouldn't sit there. And so, at 71 minutes... I feel cheated as an adult. Maybe as a kid, you know, I didn't really because time is lower. But I feel like I'm running out of time already in my life. You know, I have to really be invested in a movie. If you give me a movie that's 71 minutes, it's not enough. It feels like you just gave me an extended preview. I, I want, like, my solid... At the very least, you have to give me 90 minutes of Jack Skellington really figuring this stuff out. Because at this point, it's easy to let him off the hook by saying, well, he didn't have enough time. Well, those other 20 minutes, they also could have flushed out the Sally character more and really given an origin story to that. Yeah, I want to see that a really flashback to me. where, like, the yeah. duck, like, really is messing. Like, that duck is, I mean, he obviously has some... We also he, get this weird shot of him trying to clone himself that's never explained it, again it, in the Well, film. I think we're going to talk, talk about, like, the shot where he's scratching his brain. Because anybody that can scratch his brain, <laughs> he, he does 
deserves a whole sequence just devoted to himself. Well, there's the part where he takes half of his brain out and puts it into another, like, robot thing. And yeah, it's... yeah, yeah. Well, you do see him with, like, a duck lady pushing his wheelchair early on. Again, Why does he have a wheelchair? Characters that aren't explained. <laughs> Why does he have a wheelchair? I mean, he can create a whole new being, but we just he can't need fix a, his legs. We just need another, th- we need, like, one throwaway line. Like, yeah. oh, and then you remember when you tripped on that candy corn and now you're in that wheelchair? Like, something like that. So he, something where he's just, like, he gets drunk, he's like, you know what? My entire life I've wondered, it's funny how I can't fix my legs. <laughs> but I, I have the power of God. I can make new life. But my legs, nope, stuck in this wheelchair forever. Like, also, an ordinary wheelchair. Like, he's not, like, he got some fancy... He doesn't have some Professor X, like, hovering. Thing. Right. You would think, again, if you can make a whole new human being or whatever, you know, Sally is, you can make that out of spare parts. You'll be able to either fix your legs or create some sort of really awesome wheelchair that will go around hovering or... But he you know, just kind of disappears in the end. Because uh, yeah, 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 he's not really. I would expect him to be the real bad guy, but then he's just like, no, he's just a joke. He gets drugged, yeah, and then, <laughs> and then that's it. And then eventually, Jack's attempt to be Santa, as you're saying, goes awry, and then like the FBI and armed forces <laughs> get called in to shoot down his. Yes, slave. that will. I'm sorry, but that will never happen. That would never happen here in America. Now or 21 years ago, there is no way the FBI gives a flying fuck about Christmas. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you had all the reports of chi- uh, children finding, like, heads in their stocking, maybe you could, like, be like, oh, God, there's, like, a serial killer and somebody terrorizing but people. Still, but still, the delivery time is uh, unbelievable. Yeah, I know. Everything happens so fast. I would give the FBI at least a week to respond, like, get their shit together and, like, really go go after it. This guy, start investigations, send, like, the CSI people, the criminal minds people. I don't but they're know. using, like, military-grade rockets to shoot at him. They don't know what's going on, really. They just shot at him because he happened to be flying there. They don't really know. That could be an innocent man trying to fix the, the, the mistakes of whoever was terrorizing the kids. Zero, his dog with his flashing nose, is, the, like, their real indicator. That's what they're aiming for. They're shooting at a dog. Yeah. American and the resources. skeleton reindeers. I think that would be the problem. Like, if the the government was aware of and our armed guards were aware of skeletons flying through the air, we might need to, like, consult physicians or scientists to see what the fuck's going on. I'll give Tim Burton the benefit of the doubt, and maybe what he's trying to say is that the government knows about this. The government is prepared for this. That's why the response is so so swift and so fast, because they, they're already, they've had to deal with this plenty of times, they just never had to deal with it at Christmas. And they're like, oh god, the secret is how we just shut it down right now, and that's why they shoot him, because they know there's plenty of things going around, and they just assumed it was the latest that had just escaped. So yeah. maybe that is, maybe, maybe there's more to the number for Christmas than, than, you know, we believe. I don't think so, but, you know, we can... Just- I've always tried to like convince myself that Tim Burton isn't as smart as he thinks he is, but he may know something that we don't, and th- this could have been like the beginning of that. I think uh, twenty-one years ago, yeah. he was trying to warn us that one day these like monsters are going to take Christmas from us forever. And just like Dark Shadows, he was trying to make a point about reality television, and uh, I, don't, I don't think he succeeded. But um, but the future will tell. It, it Maybe will. he will be like you know, ten years from now, we'll talk about visionary director Tim Burton. He, he changed the game. And then eventually Jack is shot down, and he lands, and he wakes up, and like a real spoiled kid who's, you know, spring break doesn't go his way, he just pouts and then realizes his life was better the way it was before. 
And so he's going to go back to that, and he's going to be quarterback of the football team and not complain about anything anymore. Right, like cue, cue another like, depressing song where he just tells us how everything sucks in, in a happy way. We're like, oh, now I'm going to get over it. And really, the real hero of this movie is the poor guy that gets tortured most of it, which is Santa, because he is such a good sport that at the very end he like brings snow to Halloween land. If I was Santa, I would have just stayed away from that place forever. But instead... He proved he's a bigger guy. Jack returns to Halloween land and or Halloween town, and like he does save his life. To be fair, right? The, but that's the very like, he put his life in danger to begin with. That's right. I mean, that's not <laughs> that's not him like going out of his way. He's that's just him fixing what he messed up in the beginning. And in the process, he disembowels the boogeyman. <laughs> yes. And exposes that all that was beneath his flesh was just a assortment of worms and bugs and it's a very terrifying scene and again seeing this at 27 years old is one thing but if i had seen this as a child <laughs> that may have haunted my dreams for many nights now as a child you probably like okay i'm happy that happened as a 27 year old you're like why didn't he do this sooner <laughs> you know obviously okay so because you could say oh well the boogeyman could not be killed so that's why you know he's there to be the balance you know you can't kill the devil the devil's always there to tempt you no this guy you could actually take care of him so Jack didn't have to be again he has a werewolf at his disposal he could have created a posse and gone after this guy and take care of this problem a long time ago but instead he waited and I'm assuming that's the last of it that he actually killed him because you know there hasn't been a sequel to Night Before Christmas where, where the Boogeyman comes back nor has there been a rich. prequel we, we may know that like Boogeyman has something that he holds over Jack has like some ah some okay big... so there's there's a prequel where Jack's not bored yeah. but the boogeyman made a deal with him I'll let you run this town but, yeah. but you will feed me the kids again the, these, the characters not flushed out like not not enough substance to these so characters. many more interesting stories going on in this town except for the one that you know, they actually decide to focus on. Exactly. I don't care about Jack. It woes me. I have the best job in the world. It's just, it's fuck just, you. just bored. Okay, yeah. well, you know what? I have to work 60 hours a week to pay rent. You apparently just get to chill out in your town. And everybody misses you when you're gone for like five minutes. And how, it? yeah, how the fuck are we supposed to feel bad that the boogeyman is actually going to take over? It's this literal beast that you've kept below your feet and fed for years and years and years. It's just. It's called karma. If you really wanted to say something about life, you would have let the boogeyman win and then you'd be like well you know what that's what happens when you don't go to the doctor for a checkup but even more than that there is there's something more disturbing about this movie which is like you might actually pick up on this subconsciously as a kid when you watch it which is forget everything I've said about Jack okay that's a personal thing that I have against selfish boring uh, bored people but in the end alright can you fault him he's following his dream or whatever and then because he followed his dream, things go to hell. And he basically has to go back to the place where he wasn't happy in the first place. That's what the movie's telling you, that you should not follow your dreams, because if you follow your dreams, everything goes to hell. Don't ever step out of your bounds. Exactly. Find your little box and be content in it. That's, that's what Nightmare Before Christmas is telling you. If you try to like expand your horizons, stretch your limbs, maybe try to do something else at work or in life, then everything Kids becomes... Kids cry. Kids cry, Santa gets kidnapped, there's like a big monster full of worms just waiting to ruin your life as long as you step out of line. That is very disturbing. I am a very disappointed Tim Burton to put out that message, especially in a kid's movie. The other thing is also, with all that, you're going to attract this grounded yet really crazy chick who tries to kill herself just to get to you. She jumps from the top of a building. 
and nearly kills herself, it breaks her completely apart and she has to stitch herself back together. I mean, yes, it's a fantasy land, but also there's crazy bitches in the world that would do stuff like that. You so. are, you're really, you're encouraging that kind of behavior. I mean, Sally, in the end, it's, it's the real hero of the movie and she is very disturbed. Should you encourage that kind of behavior? I don't know. I, I don't think so, Tim Burton. I think that you should have had, at the very least, have her acknowledge at the end that, hey, you know what? I was doing some crazy stuff, but no more. When they finally embrace in the end, there's so much that needs to be said about okay, well, where do we go from here, and are you okay? Right, what have we learned from this experience? There is nothing, you know, what, they, they kind of kiss, I'm assuming they're kissing giant Well, we can't movies. show that because it's a Disney movie. Right, okay, they embrace and get... We can show Santa being tortured and poten potentially eaten by the boogeyman, but we can't show these characters no, kissing. not a kiss. I guess if we wanted to think positively, we would think that there's like a deleted scene post-credits where... Jack and Sally are talking about all the crazy stuff that happened this Halloween slash Christmas, and they're like, you know what, we really need to do something about our lives and, and the way we live them. I... Speaking of Halloween, they skipped it for a whole year. Jack <laughs> robbed the townspeople of a, a, of a Halloween because they were all preparing for Christmas. Because I was getting confused about the, the, the time frame. Yeah. yeah. But they, they skipped Halloween and just he made them work on Halloween, which is their... Their holiday. Yeah, I think that he, he knew he could get away with it. You know, obviously, they, they adore him like he's a god. So if he decides that, hey, you know what, we're doing Christmas this time, then yeah. Much like uh, any fascist dictator, he convinced them. Right. Follow me and I will take you to the promised land. It's selfish, self-centered, bored dictator. On top of everything, he just ruins everybody else's And life. really, in the end, the townspeople, all they did was work and all they really got in return was snow. Which, granted, for them is like a really, really cool thing, but... I would want at least a little compensation, maybe a new Un TV or something. Unless we're misreading the whole thing, and it's cocaine, not snow. <laughs> <laughs> if Santa brought cocaine to Halloween land as a payoff, then, went through for then a year. those kids need to get indoors really fast. <laughs> yeah, they're monsters. They can handle it. I'm sure they'll just have like a blast for New Year's, and then... God, the go kids back. of that town were very disturbing. Oh, everybody in that movie, I mean, you know, everybody in that town, they're, they're just messed up, which, another missed opportunity, it's like, once you get to the nexus of the holidays and all the doors, I would have liked to see what else is going on in those, you know, maybe we would have gotten a better idea of what Jack is like and what Jack's, you know, why should we root for him if you see what everything is like in all the other doors and you see a better, you get a bit clearer idea of what's going on in all these other holiday-themed areas, you know, maybe... They had, like, five sequels prepared for them. Oh. All the different holidays, like he could have gone to, and the Nightmare Before Thanksgiving, <laughs> Nightmare Before St. Patrick's Day. Like, there's so many things that could have happened. Bring what Halloween to like Thanksgiving or something. I don't know. We're but... eating pumpkins. <laughs> you eat pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving. So I really don't know what the, what the big deal would have been. A lot of missed opportunities, I feel, and yeah. a lot of characters that weren't flushed out, and really just something that fell kind of flat. I, I don't didn't really do much for me. I don't know what the deal is with these 94%. They're probably impressionable kids and a bunch of impressionable critics, except for Owen Gleiberman from Entertainment Weekly, who saw exactly what was going on, and he went, I'm not sure I've ever seen a fantasy film that's at once so visually amazing and so emotionally dead. Pretty sure he's been wrong about plenty of things, but he's not wrong about that. He tried to call Burton and Selig and on an under poorly made movie, and I guess nobody heard him because, again, 94%. It's a classic. I mean, it's like it's playing every every Halloween now. That's the world we live in. So many people have just been convinced that it's great. Like, they've fallen under this false pretense of greatness. All the while, you have all these other truly great movies that just go unappreciated. It's sad, but that's, that's why we're here. That's why. So, that's, <laughs> we're here to open your eyes. 
T-shirts, T-shirts, T-shirts. Hundreds of thousands of wrestling T-shirts, all for you to buy. Starring all of your favorite wrestlers. Daniel Bryan, Bret Hart Goes to Montreal, Some Dead Guy, The Blackjacks, Mulligan and Lanza, Not Wyndham and Bradshaw. Wrestling! SmarksLikeUs.com, SmarksLikeUs.com, SmarksLikeUs.com. Selling you wrestling T-shirts. Also available, buttons, stickers, and kitty cats. Meow. Right, so are you ready for real talk? Real talk, yeah. On the Contrarians, we'll do um, rebuttal and also how we actually feel about the films we talk about each episode. Because a lot of times, we'll really agree or really disagree. It just never matters. The The whole point of it is to prove that art is subjective and also to show that Rotten Tomatoes and websites of that nature are not you know, the, the say-all, be-all of the film industry. But in this particular case, I didn't extremely dislike it, but I was not really impressed by it. This is the first time that Alex has watched the movie. I've seen it this ball my third or fourth time, but I haven't seen it in years. Uh, I think I like it a lot more than he does. I, I think it's good. I honestly, I had forgotten it was so short. It's probably the first time I've noticed how short it is, but that's not bad in my book. Uh, you know what? If you can say what you need to say with your movie in 71 minutes, more power to you because there's too many long movies these days. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of my favorite movies ever and that's 80 minutes long. Yeah, so. there you go. So, yeah, just get in, get out before you bore us to death. I do remember the first time I saw it, I was a kid, and I do remember having uh, some of the feelings that I was talking about during our earlier part of the podcast, mostly concerning the song. The, the animation was really weird. I'd never seen stop motion before, and I was just, I was kind of put off by it. I think that more traditional animation would have done better for me as a kid. As an adult, I think it's impressive. I, I, I really like it. I really like the way the movie looks, and I think it's... It's really cool. Whatever it jump-started 21 years ago, I'm glad it did. It's everything that's come since then. It's really cool. The music, you know, I'm hot and cold. I think there's songs like the opening song, like This is Halloween and uh, What's This. Like, those are just... I can hear them and they, they I, I really get into them right away. The other stuff is a little more forgettable, at least to me. I know that there's big Night Before Christmas fans that just love the entire soundtrack. To me, once it gets kind of sad and depressing, I don't really care that much about the music. But there's some... Cool numbers. I guess it's not as memorable as the as your standard Disney musical soundtrack, but this again, this is pretty good. It was such a, an offbeat project that I'm I'm very happy with how much of it works. I don't know who had the most input, if it was Burton or Henry Selick or whoever, but I, I think that it's worth it's worth watching at least once to see if it's your cup of tea. Yeah, it was definitely very interesting. I don't know exactly why I went so long without seeing it, but I know as a kid it just never really came up with like my parents like it was never like hey we're gonna go see this and just the older I got I just never watched it and going into it definitely there was like a world of hype because a lot of people I associate with really view it very highly and hold it in high regard and the animation's pretty fantastic that's pretty stellar it it looks incredible the story is kind of flimsy it just kind of fell flat for me. I don't think it's bad by any means. I think it's just one of those movies that garnered this huge cult attraction because it's so different. I think a lot of movies get that. When they're so different, it doesn't really matter their quality, but it, it'll garner this big attraction and attention. Um, yeah, I mean, but, I mean, you can make the argument that you know they did things that Disney at the time wouldn't have done, and that's good. You yeah. know that, that that all that creepy stuff, all the like a little like darker stuff than you would expect from a Disney movie, they did it, and that, that that's I, what made it memorable. I find that very fascinating that they basically got their funding from Disney, but then Disney was like, "We can't release this because it's too dark for us, so we're going to put it on our subsidiary, and uh, they'll release it for you." 
I mean, back then, you know. Oh, well, now these they, days, yeah. they want to take credit for it. They're like, yeah, we did this. But also these days, I mean, you will see darker stuff on movies. Like yeah, movies. like I was saying to you before we watched this, this was back before the opening of Up happened, so right, Disney was exactly. in a much different yeah, place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I, I, I mean, I can see the story simple, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, yeah, it doesn't hold up to, like, adult scrutiny, but I'm fine with turning a part of my brain off and just watching it now and, you know, just enjoying, like, the simplicity of it. Yeah. Oh, you know, this guy's bored and he tries something new and he manages to make it work out at the end. Yeah, uh, yeah that, I, I can live with that. It's 94% actually, you know, it doesn't feel high for this movie just because if maybe if it was the second or third stop-motion feature, you know, then yeah. maybe I would be like, okay, come on guys, by now we should have gotten a little better at this. I plan to, to fix this, but I've never seen Coraline. I haven't seen, uh, what's the other big, like, stop motion, uh, um... Army of Darkness? <laughs> yes. I have seen Army of Darkness. <laughs> I don't think it quite fits on this, but, uh, I don't know, but there's, the point is, like, if this was, like, just one more of a wave of stop motion animation movies, then it, maybe it should be judged harsh, you know, more harshly, but as being the pioneer and the one that got it all started, mm. uh, yeah, 94%, I'm, I'm down with that. That's fine, you know? I guess. I, I think that its biggest contribution is the the animation style. It's kind of interesting in all other forms of art. The expression, the first one out of the gate always gets bloody, but in film it's the exact opposite. If you're the first one to do something, you will be praised for eternity, and like everyone after you will be judged. But that's, that's, that, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that you have to keep context in mind because, you know, we all evolve our tastes so quickly, mm-hmm. and it's sometimes easy to forget that, yeah, this may not be impressive to you now, but 20 years ago, this was groundbreaking. Yeah. And, and they stuck to their guns. They didn't, you know. When I was doing a little bit of, like, yeah, when I was doing a little bit of research um, for recording this, and they Disney apparently wanted to do a sequel like 10 or so years ago, and Tim Burton, like, said no. Like, he, like, had to convince him out of it because, say what you will about Tim Burton, he's very loyal and he, like, sticks to his projects and he, he's very passionate about the stuff he does. And I think that was just part of it. He's like, he realized what was made with this and he didn't want to try to, like, foil that. Or... What would the sequel be about? I mean, does he decide to take over another holiday? Yeah, I would hope so. He just goes back to the Nexus and picks a different the Nightmare door. Before Hanukkah? <laughs> Starring Adam Sandler. It, it just... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he kidnaps an angry Jew and just... Oh, dude, yeah. They, they could have merged that with Eight Crazy Nights and done yes. like a tie-in, like the Jetsons meet the Flintstones. It's a, it's a sequel for both movies. It'd be huge. The thing I, I did get watching this, though, is... Um, from that time frame, when the Disney labels put on it, I found it that I would judge it much more harshly than if it wasn't on there. Because I've always had that problem. My childhood is built around Disney films, and especially like the time frame I grew up in was like Beauty and the Beast, Toy Story, you know, all those classics, like literal film classics. And so in these more recent years, too, when the Disney labels put on something, I find myself judging it so much harsher than I need to be. If that label had never been put on it, I might see myself putting it like up to that standard. But like when that Disney label's put on there, it's just kind of like I see. I, I, it's like a different pair of glasses that I put on when I watch it. That kind of makes sense because yeah, in a way, you should hold Disney to a higher standard because by now it's like they should know better. Uh, at the same time, I mean, you do know that this was, you know, made twenty one years ago. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that's the other pair of glasses you're supposed to put on. No, and yeah. that's 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 a fault of my own. Is watching this is like. Um, yeah, it's 21 years old, and, and yeah, like, for fucking 1993, that that's crazy that they try to market that towards kids and stuff. Like, I find that so admirable. 
I would go even crazier than that, and I would tell you that, okay, it's 21 years old, but yeah, if you release it today, it would still make a splash. Maybe not as big one, it wouldn't be like groundbreaking, maybe we wouldn't be playing it every Halloween in theaters, but it would, it would, you know, get some attention, you know, so it, it wouldn't be Disney, you know, but yeah. let's say that, I don't know, whatever, Lionsgate or whatever, put out this 71, uh, 70 six minute movie out and it was so motion it would just get you know just for the mere fact that it's not disney but it's like being weird and quirky oh i'm completely open to the to the notion that this movie was like way ahead of its time because I, I i could fully see that too at the same time i've just become so jaded and as we record more and more of these podcasts <laughs> you'll find that it's the story just it just kind of fell flat for me. Yeah, no, no, I, I can see that you just dead inside, and there's uh, nothing we can do. Yeah, that's it. That. I'm dead inside. Yeah, Catherine O'Hara is my favorite actress of all time, or second. So seeing her or hearing her rather, and this was very, very cool for me. It, it was just a fun experience watching it for the first time, like finally doing it. Yeah, but ninety four percent no. <laughs> what would you give it? I mean, your percentage? Like... Uh, if we were rocking like between seventy five and eighty, I would buy that. Solid eighty, you yeah, know, maybe. Yeah. But I'll, I'll give it ninety four. I'm fine with ninety four, just on the on the base of like history and groundbreaking and all that stuff. It's a it's a pioneer. I'm sure old Timmy Burton will show back up on one of these episodes here before too long. So yes, when we when we examine his awesome Batman or whatever else. Oh man, yeah, no arguments on Batman. <laughs> Batman Returns, we can do that though because that movie fucking sucks. Uh, I, I don't know which 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 character I'm supposed to be playing right now. <laughs> I'm supposed to tell you that I hate it or I love it. But that's gonna do it for the first episode of the Contrarians podcast. We're right, you're wrong, and we'll catch you next time.
Thank you for listening to The Contrarians. On your way out today, be sure to swing by youtube.com backslash Films. That's O-V-N-I-O Films. And check out The New Adventures of Baby Jesus, a web series created by The Contrarians' very own Julio Oliveira.